When communication works, it is such a fabulous feeling. We find the words, our message gets across to the other person. They jump in with words of their own. We feel like we understand what they're saying. We come to some kinds of agreement. We build relationship and connection. And both people walk away feeling respected. It's the best. I'm Linda Ferguson of NLP Canada Training. I'm here with episode six in our series of podcast episodes on the core skills we build through the NLP practitioner training. And day six is for language. Now, in most people's experience, This is the hardest thing to improve, and it's so hard that they resort to kind of memorizing things they should say, whether it's an elevator pitch, remember those, or um, the opening to a presentation or the whole of the presentation, a sales script. We have all these times we try and memorize language so we don't have to trust our language. Because we're really, really afraid that communicating badly doesn't just reflect on our language or even our professional competence, although it's really important that our words, our choice of language, make us uh, showcase what we can do professionally, that they help our technical skills and don't get in the way of them. But what we're really most afraid of is that if we don't communicate well, it reflects badly on who we are. That at the level of identity, some people are just better at connecting than other people. And maybe we just don't have that gift. Maybe we should be ashamed that we can't somehow get our good ideas out in the world in a way where they're going to be received well. We're afraid that if we say the wrong thing, the other person's going to blow up and we are going to have created a conflict where there didn't need to be a conflict. And as animals, this is the level of kind of animals and evolution. Human beings are social animals. We require support, assistance, collaboration from one another. And so to feel like we have broken that, again, takes us right back into who we are and how we survive, and it feels awful. And the final thing that we're really afraid of is that words actually matter. They make a difference in the world. A famous poet once said that poets are afraid of two things. One thing was that words don't matter. The other thing was that words do matter. They do make change happen. And we're afraid that if we say something the wrong way, the consequences won't just be inside the relationship, but they will somehow be out there in the world. And so choosing our words feels like walking across a minefield. It feels like it could blow up at any moment, blow up our meaning and the thing we wanted to get done, blow up our relationship and put us in conflict instead of collaboration. 
and blow up our sense of self so that instead of feeling good about who we are and how we can make a difference in the world, we feel crappy about it. Now, all of this starts with the idea that language is supposed to clearly represent a message. And that clear representation of a message determines how successful the language is. What we teach at NLP Canada, what we taught in the first of the communication days, if you didn't listen to episode five, you should go back and listen to it now, is that communication requires holding two outcomes at the same time. One outcome is to build and connect, build a relationship and maintain that relationship. And the other outcome is to do whatever it is you want to do with your language, to inform, to persuade, to teach. So when we start with that, we see that when we come into a connection focused on making a connection, when we allow that part of our state to start happening where we are matching and mirroring, pacing and leading non-verbally, and when we maintain that focus so that whenever that relationship starts to slip, we repair the relationship before we push forward with our messaging, then there's a lot less to fear from language. Because language is only a small part of the communication, and it is being used in service of making and maintaining connection. And we do this in really easy ways. It shows up in saying yes and nodding and all of those mm -hmm kind of encouraging sounds we make at each other when we are connecting. We can make those a little more deliberate by intentionally focusing on what I need here is connection. We can send words back and forth that allow the other person to collaborate with us. When that means that we make our language a little bit less specific, but not in a way that's vague, in a way that says experience this for yourself. Now, how do you do that? Everybody has at least five senses. And if instead of telling people what to see, you say, open your eyes and look around. What are you seeing? And you invite them to put in sights and sounds and feelings that go with the information that you want to share. Then you are encouraging someone else to have a vivid experience instead of telling them all about your vivid experience and hoping they sort of ride along with you. You can also use language that says, this might not be the way you see it. And as soon as you say, this might not be the way you see it, you allow people to explore 
what's going on in them as they hear your language. Instead of having a yes or a no, an on-off digital kind of switch, you allow for a whole range of responses. Now, all of this has been called being artfully vague, and I just, I think it's a terrible way of describing it. Because most people don't know how to be artful, and the only way to be vague is somehow to be specific and then muddy it up. And that's not going to get you the result that you want. Here's what's going to help. You think, how do I make room for this other person's experience within the representation I am making of my message? How do I give them room to notice their own thoughts and feelings and priorities and include them so that it seems like I'm already there with them instead of like I am outside and they are knocking at the window trying to see what's on the other side. So it's not hard to include people when you are paying attention to wanting to include people. This is true in any conversation on the playground where kids have to either decide, let somebody new in or keep somebody new out. It's not just about language. It's first and foremost about state, about what we call attitude. And the most important, fundamental improvement you can make to your communication is to stop thinking that what you are doing is broadcasting your internal radio station so that other people can listen in on your thoughts and instead think you are using your voice to make sounds that build bridges between you and the other person. And the only way to do that is to have one end of the bridge firmly in the other person's experience. Now, the result of this might surprise you a little bit, but when people feel included, when they feel respected, they're much more likely to give respect back. And so the biggest um, service you can do to your desire to be respected in what you communicate is to be inclusive in the way you communicate by focusing on wanting to make connection before you want to score points. The next thing we really work on is understanding the power of suggestion. And the difference between the nice clarity, apparent clarity of giving a command and the elegance of making a suggestion is this. When we give a command, it's an either or. Do this or break the connection. And even if there are no other consequences, the consequence of breaking the connection is something human beings take seriously. When we make a suggestion, we say with equal clarity, this is something you could think or do. But if the other person chooses not to think or do that, 
they can still stay in the connection with us. So our fear level goes down, their fear level goes down. That's at a, you know, way below the surface of consciousness kind of fear. It's the fear of being outcast. And for social creatures, there is no greater fear than being outcast, being alone. And the way to moderate that fear is to focus on the relationship and then use the relationship to make very clear statements, but make them in a way that allows people to say yes or no without compromising the relationship. And we do this by using terms like might and wonder and possible. It's possible that. We do this by really getting in a rhythm where we reflect back in our language in the same way we learn to reflect back with our body and our expressions, what we are observing in the other person. So we hear their words and we send their words back to them. And it says to them, it's okay. They're listening. They respect you. And then they can hear more of what you have to say. And sometimes we even do it with analogs. Now, the term we use for analogs in NLP is metaphor or story. And we just mean, instead of talking about the thing itself, we talk as if it's something else. We talk as if a business decision is actually something happening in sports. We tell a story about going fishing and what it takes to get what we want and what that experience is like for us to give somebody else a model of maybe being persuasive, of capturing attention, and of being delicate in their communication. All of these are things you already do. Everybody knows if things are looking up, they're getting better. Why? Up and down have very little to do with most human situations. But we pull them into our awareness. There's some thought that the use of metaphor, which just means this is like that, is actually wired into our neurology. We are not meant to be machines describing exactly some external reality, but we are meant to be learning creatures who learn by taking what is known and adding something new to it. And so this use of suggestion pulls into the very natural way people add new knowledge into their brains, which is not to start fresh, but to build on what they already know. And the more you are building on what people already know, the more you are using analogies or metaphors that are similar to what they already have stored, the more they will feel seen and respected, the more likely they will see and respect you. This is how we provide for disagreement without conflict. And it's increasingly apparent that the foundation of innovation, of doing something new, of solving difficult problems, is really allowing 
new thoughts and perspectives into awareness. The awareness of an individual, the collective awareness of a group. It needs to grow. And we can't grow our awareness if every time we come up against difference, we turn it into conflict. We can't grow our perspective is every time somebody says something we don't agree with, we have to break the relationship and kind of duke it out, even if we're doing it metaphorically. So having ways of making your language more inclusive of a range of experience makes it more likely you will be successful as a communicator. It makes it more likely they will learn and be able to integrate what you're saying. But it also makes it more likely you will be able to grow into your connection. That by connecting with difference, your knowledge base, your set of abilities will get a little bit bigger. The final thing we do is the difficult, delicate process of taking the connection we've built and making it useful. Now, you've all been at a meeting where something was agreed in principle or we got agreement in theory. And it feels like we've done something, and we have. We have generally, when we agree in principle, preserved relationship, preserved mutual respect, avoided shaming anybody. So these are all good things, but they don't result in change happening in the world. They don't result in somebody going away from a conversation or a piece of writing not just convinced, but motivated to take action. Now in NLP, we teach that the way to get people motivated is just very simple, is to get them in their bodies, imagining taking the action you want them to take. That's very specific. You have to be in your body at a specific time and place. You have to notice certain triggers in the environment. You have to interact in particular ways to get things done. And it requires that the language we've been using, the language that builds agreement by getting bigger, by making possibility bigger, now focuses in on just one possibility out of everything that could happen or could be. When people mentally rehearse, that means sit in their mind and imagine actually taking all of the thoughts and actions at a particular time and place that they will need to do to accomplish a task, they're much more likely to go ahead and do that task. And this involves pulling language gently in to get it gradually more and more specific. And most of this process is not about you being more specific, but about you leading a process that allows the other person to become more specific about what they will notice that will trigger them to take specific actions that will lead to an outcome. So in this part of the course, We teach you to ask a lot of questions. 
And you all know that the trick with asking questions is for people to feel that you are with them, that you are curious about their responses, that you are ready to appreciate them, and not that you are interrogating, not that you are pushing, not that you are leading them down a path they might not choose for themselves. So this is why we only handle this kind of language at the end of day six, when we've had a chance to build up our awareness of our own states and attitudes, to build up our awareness of other people and how we can connect and yet bring people into a state that's useful, and then how to formulate what we want in our own minds in a way that includes the experience of the other person so that we're not telling them what we want done, but we are asking them for something we want them to do. And that's a big difference, right? There's that big difference in formulating our communication based on connecting and motivating another person versus dumping a result into language and hoping that that makes a difference. Again, this idea of using language to sort of gradually negotiate focus together is something that already happens when your language is working for you. And so as you draw attention to what's really going on when you're being effective with your communication, you realize you're better at this stuff than you thought you were. You do have what you need. And by being clear about what you're trying to do, you'll become more effective more quickly than you believed possible. I'm Linda Ferguson, NLP Canada Training.